Thank you. Liu Buscalia. Now you're silent. Dr. Love. Liu Buscalia introduced the study of the science of love at a very prominent university about three decades ago. And he popularized it to such an extent that he gained the nickname Dr. Love. And what did Dr. Love say that we uh, should take heed of tonight? Well, I'll quote two of his quotes. The first one is, Love at first sight turns to hate at last sight. <laughs> and then he said something that we should take a little bit more seriously than that. He said, listen carefully, to love is to risk living life fully. I don't know whether I agree with a full statement, but I borrowed from Liu Buscalia the first bit for my message tonight. To love is to risk. To love is to risk. Let's just pray, please. I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice to worship thee, oh, my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Dear Lord, would you please bless us tonight? With your Holy Spirit, guide us through this message. Plant a seed in every heart, a new appreciation of your wonderful love and the risks you took in loving us. We praise, pray all of this in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for it. Amen. Amen. To love is to risk. I hope you have listened very carefully, and thank you, Brother Jewel, for reading the scripture for us tonight. Very carefully to the narrative of both the wayward son, if you would allow me that term, prodigal son, as well as that of the compassionate Father. Jesus loved to teach in parable. And if I wanted to teach like him, and we can because he's our example, not that I think I will succeed to the extent, I'm just saying. He taught in parables. He engaged his audience. Often, Often, he kept them in suspense until the very end. And lastly, he imparted life-changing 
spiritual lessons. So if we can uh, succeed in that, we also preach a little bit like Jesus did. Now this parable is one of those inexhaustible ones that Jesus told. Some Bibles label it the parable of the prodigal son. Nothing wrong with that. Some label it the parable of the loving father. Equally well, I think both have much to say for them. But what I'd like to do tonight with this parable, if you would allow me, is I would like to hold up two pictures to you. Two pictures of love. The one picture of love is that love displayed, the type of love displayed by the wayward son. And then I want to contrast that with the type of love of the compassionate father, also in the parable. But that contrasting, I would like to do in a very special way and just on one plane. Otherwise, we can be here for all night. And that is to contrast the risks embedded in the two types of love. There was risk involved for the wayward son in the way he loved and what he loved. And there was risk involved on the side of the compassionate father in the way he loved. Right, so you're with me. Thank you. Um, did you know that this story continued elsewhere in the New Testament? Some of you say yay and some say nay. I'm joking. But I'll tell you what. The Apostle Paul could just as well have listened to Jesus and listened to this parable when he wrote 2 Timothy 3. Let's page there, please. 2 Timothy 3. The first few verses, I'm just going to read, skip read them quickly. This know also that in the last days, when were the last days? Jesus stood in the last days. The Apostle Paul was also in the last days. And you and I, with permission, are in the last of last days. The Bible is even more relevant tonight than previously. This know also that in the last days, Perilous times shall come. He could just have well written this with reference to that parable. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Does that ring the bell there in the parable? Unthankful, gimme, gimme. Entitlement, unholy, riotous living, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure. It sounds like the man that we were reading about. More than lovers of God. I say... The sickness of the last of the last days is men's self-love. 
And I made a note in the margin of my Bible to say, please don't underestimate the contribution of secular psychology. Absolutizing the individual, his sense of self-worth, making him the center of his world, the pivot around which his whole universe revolves. Self-love. To the extent that it becomes self-adoration. I think the Bible only allows and provides for, and this is in brackets, healthy self-respect. I don't think a Christian can live without self-respect, but it's completely different from self-adoration, self-love. Right. So here the Bible identified very clearly for us the type of love that the wayward son displayed. Now, what were the risks embedded in this type of love? And I want to speak to the young people in particular in this little portion of my presentation tonight. He made rash decisions. Rash decisions. He forfeited Family harmony. He forfeited um, community support because he ran away as far as he possibly could. Not the next village, not the next town. It sounds like I just want to get away from this place. These are the sorts of risks. Um, alienation. Listen to this, unfamiliar territory, vague borders and boundaries. <laughs> he forfeited financial stability. He forfeited physical health. To me, it looks like self-love is self-destruction. This young man was a rebellion. He was in a rebellion. He was a rebel. He was in a rebellion against God and the system and the way things work. He even reversed the order when he made his demand. It was normally the privilege of the older brother. And the grace of God is shown in here that the father obliged. All I want to say about this is you know what? God can use hopeless circumstances in any case to achieve his salvation purposes. <laughs> Irrespective, notwithstanding. Right. Does the Bible have good uh, advice for young men like that? We were at 2 Timothy 3. Just page over to 1 Timothy 6. 
It seems to me really the Apostle Paul, he, he knew something about this or he made a special study because every time I read it, it looks like as if he's writing specifically for this prodigal son. Verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Listen, young man, having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Brother Joss, I see you. You're not positively uh, confirming this. But they will be rich, they will be rich, fall into temptation and a snare, a little bit down, drown men in destruction and perdition. This is what happened here. For the love of money, Pastor mentioned this scripture this morning, is the root of all evil. Then I skip to verse 11. But thou, O man of God, flee from such. <laughs> Young people, all I can say to you tonight is, if this painted some part of the narrative of your life, all I can say is flee from such. Get away from it and flee towards God where your salvation lies. Um, I want to move on now. So we've identified that this type of love, man's love, is self-destructive. Um, you know, th this man, if I reflect back, this young man played right into the hands of the soul enemy. He wants to meet you on unfamiliar territory, away from your support system, financially out and down, maybe in a health predicament, uh, uh, burnt bridges behind you, no way back, no return possibility. And that is what we should guard against, that we don't fall into that situation. Enough of that. I'm halfway through. Some of you would be very relieved to hear that. I want to now get to the other picture of love that I lifted up. The love of God, the compassion that this piece speaks of. Again, only in terms of the risk embedded. You know, we, we in financial terms, I used to be in finance all my life. We talk about the risk appetite of it. God, the risk appetite of God's love. You'll understand what I mean. The risk appetite of God's love. Then the moment we start talking about God and His love, especially His love, we're talking about something that is completely incomprehensible. It's completely incomparable. As opposed to the self-love of this young man, we're now talking about self-sacrificial love. Selfless love of God. A story. Karl Barth was a, one of the biggest reformist theologians of the last century. And Karl Barth died about 1963 or something like that. And you know, early in Karl Barth's life, he started an essay on the love of Christ. 
The love of God revealed in Christ. And he titled it, The Love of Christ. And Karl Barth's essay that was intended for a few thousand words ended at the time of his death with an unfinished tenth volume. Five million words. Still the subject of God's love. Exhausted. Not yet exhausted. That is what we're talking about. When I want to talk about the love of God and the risk embedded in the love of God, I need to grope for poetry and hymns because my language capabilities are too limited. Really, they are. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His love has no boundary known unto man. And out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. This love is mine. Uh, the other songwriter says, I cannot comprehend it. This love revealed in Christ my Lord divine. When on the tree he died for me. God's wondrous, glorious, mighty love. This love is mine. Wonderful, wonderful. May that be your own experience as well. God's love is infinite. It's infinite in scope, in uh, capacity, and in exposure, risk exposure. Infinite. Listen to this. Infinite in scope, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. Not an individual not a family, not a clan, not a nation, but the world. Infinite in scope. Infinite God's love in capacity. This one you know, 1 John 4, 8. God is love. If you say God in the same breath, you say the source of love. Outside him, there is no such thing as love. With respect, it is part of God's DNA. The substance of God is love. And that is what makes him so, so wonderful. The third component, the exposure. The risk of God's love. Is the fact lies in the fact that he gave himself. No less than himself. There's no greater gift that anybody can give than himself. And you know what? He gave himself twice. In Jesus, he gave himself for the world and for sinners. And then in John 16, he says, it's expedient if I go away. You believers need the Holy Ghost. I will come and live with you through the Holy Ghost. He gave himself twice over. I say that is the risk. That is an appetite for the risk of living with God. 
the risk uh, of his love. <laughs> Luke eleven thirteen says, you evil fathers. <laughs> Any wonderful earthly father does not begin to compare with the heavenly father. So I don't mind if Jesus calls me an evil father. You evil fathers, you know to give good gifts to your children. How much more? Well, I give the Holy Spirit to those who ask me for that. Wonderful, wonderful. The, 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 the exposure of his love to give himself twice. Right. So, let's talk a little bit, and I'm, I'm going to move on very quickly now. Let's move on and talk, unpack this exposure, the vulnerability of God from loving us a little bit more in depth. I refer you back to the parable. The father figure in this parable relinquished control, didn't he? The story starts with a one-way dependency up the stream. The two sons were dependent on the father. The story ends with a father being co-dependent on them. And you know, for me, it's a shadow. It's a shadow that the salvation story is a joint venture. God doesn't control your will and my will. It's a joint venture story. Right, but I want to, to make this point very clear. The exposure lies in this fact. The creator putting himself in the hands of his creature. Like this father, for the rest of his life, the sustenance that he would have needed, putting himself in the hands of his sons. Same thing. The creator putting himself in the hands of the creature. But that breeds for me two, uh, two risks that I want to unpack quickly. And that's, that's the crux of my message. And then we will uh, unwind. It starts with a story, the first one. I like to watch the news on TV. And I like to watch documentaries. I'm not so much into the drama and these other things. Okay. So the other night I watched an American true story documentary of about 50 minutes or so. Listen to this. This uh, uh, Latino American, and he's probably 33, 34, and his little daughter went to a stadium, a Yankee stadium, to watch some other game. At the same time, a murder was committed about five kilometers or whatever from there. And um, the next morning, he was arrested at home. Completely out of the blue, unexpectedly, he was just arrested and put in jail. And uh, no matter how much he protested, they said, it's you. We've got an identity of you. There was an eyewitness who saw the incident, uh, notwithstanding that it happened at dusk. 
but he or she was able to provide the police artists with a wonderful identikit, and it fitted this man 100%. And the unfortunate fact about this was that this man as a juvenile 15 years earlier had a bit of a police record. So his identikit was on the police files then. But not for real serious stuff. And they then matched the two and they lined up perfectly and they said, no, no, it's you. No other evidence, nothing. But they had difficulty in putting this man on the scene. So he got a solicitor friend and he said, listen, this is not on. We're going to take them on. Doesn't matter what it's going to cost. We're going to take them on. And this solicitor found out that there were 27,000 people in the stadium that night. Brother Josh, they, he went through CCTV footage frame by frame by frame for months. And just before they thought it was a lost cause, the frame showed him with his little daughter on the hand, with an ice cream in her hand, in the stadium. And she also testified prior to that, my daddy bought me an ice cream, we were there. And then they battled with the resolution a bit, but then they could conclusively prove that he was not near the crime scene. Do you know what one calls this? He was the substitute for the real perpetrator. They couldn't lay their hands on the real perpetrator. So all of a sudden, he just fitted the bill. He looked apart and they took hold of him. Can I bring you back to the Bible? We've got exactly, exactly that situation. The first risk for God in loving us was the risk of substitution. The substitutionary sacrifice. Jesus is called in Revelation 5, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. The creator purposed in his mind before time began, I will one day become the substitutionary sacrifice. For aeons, he had time to contemplate. He observed the unfolding of history, which wasn't a good one. And for him still to say, I'll put myself in the hands of my creature. That's what I call love. That was the risk that Jesus took. And let us look at the scripture portion that throws light on this because it, it is one of those most beautiful ones. There are more. I'm just quoting one for you. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Let's, let's, let's go 20, half in 20. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled with God. For, and this is the text I want, he, this is God, has made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. Sin for us who knew no sin. 
the substitute, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Do you know what happened here? When God looked at Calvary, because then this risk became a reality. Then at Calvary, that risk that came for irons became the reality. But when God looked on Jesus on the cross, the identical was that of the prodigal son. And worse. And worse. He was made worse so that God could empty his wrath on him as the substitute. So that you and I tonight <clears throat> can go free. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? It was definitely a substitutionary death. Because Isaiah <clears throat> 53, 5 says... Uh, he was uh, wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised, Brother Trevor, for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. A substitutionary offer. He was made the scapegoat. And do you know why he could actually do that because he leaned on his father Psalm 16:10 when God said I will not let my beloved one perish I will not let him linger in hell I will not let my beloved one see corruption and he said that's what my father said and for that reason I'll be the substitutionary offer he had to bear the guilt as the scapegoat. He was not near the crime scene ever. There, there's, a, there's a view, sad to say, that they said Jesus partook in the sin of nature and for that reason, uh-uh, uh-uh, the scapegoat never became anything else. The guilt was transferred over onto him. Right. He faced the risk of suffering and death as a man. As a man. The risk of isolation and separation from the Father. You only need to read the upper room discourse. John 13, 31 to the end of 17. To see the close interrelationship between him and the Father. To really appreciate his concern to be isolated and to be separated from his Father. All of that for you and me. But, as I said earlier, in order to be the substitutionary offer, he had to look the part. In the sight of God, he had to look the part so that you and I can look like him. Isn't it wonderful? No alibi, no excuse, no way out. You know, he gave a lot up. He gave a lot up to actually be the substitutionary offer. He left the splendor of heaven. Knowing his destiny, it was the lonely hill of Golgotha, there to lay down his life for me. The author says, if that isn't love, the ocean is dry. There are no stars in the sky 
the sparrow can't fly. If that isn't love, then heaven's a myth. Because there's no feeling like this if that isn't love. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that he was prepared, that he had appetite for risk to be the substitutionary offer, in a sacrifice in my place. I'm getting to my last point. And it still relates to the fact that the Creator willingly put Himself in the hands of His creature. And that is, let me, let me lead it in by a story. I'm a storyteller. <clears throat> Before I give you the key, let me tell the story. Those of you, I don't want you to actually put up your hands. I can actually, ah, do that. Those of you who grew up, who were fairly young like me in the 1960s, Raise your hands. Yeah, 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 yeah. High school stuff, thereabouts. There was an American, Afro-American crooner, Nat King Cole. Does it ring a bell? Right. Nat King Cole sang a song, a very well-known one, brother, that says, the greatest thing in all the world is to love and be loved in return. And I'm borrowing from Nat King Cole again tonight. This is not the gospel according to Nat King Cole. But if what he says is half true, what I'm saying is, if that is true, then the greatest risk in all the world is to love and not be loved in return. And again, Again, that happened to our Savior. It's happening right now. The risk of rejection. The risk of rejection. Remember again, I referred you to the parable. The father started with full control of his affairs and his estate. But the story ended differently. There's a codependence. And now, enter the risk of man's free. The creator was willing to put himself in the way of man's free will. 2 Corinthians 5, where we were, just read verse 20. We, we were at uh, 21. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us again, I say. We pray you, in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Six, verse, the last part of verse two. Now, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The risk of rejection. Scripture says, I beseech thee, be reconciled to God. It's optional. It's optional. The risk of rejection is that Jesus died in vain for a sinner. Can I repeat that? The risk of rejection embedded in the love of God revealed through Christ to us 
is that in certain instances, all of that, the death of Christ was in vain. I don't think we should, have, we should uh, ever be a party to that. The tragedy is that tens of thousands, tens of thousands reject Christ every day. Maybe more, I don't know. Salvation is now a joint adventure of God and man. 